Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Looking forward to preaching today what God has laid on my heart, and I'm excited that you're here and uh, worshiping the Lord with us. And uh, we are in this series, Whatever It Takes, and we're talking about uh, what is it going to take to see a move of God in 2020, and what is it going to take to see God bless as we go to two services on February 23rd. So I'm excited about this season that we're in, and uh, we are in a great season as a church. Do you believe it? Yeah. And that God is doing some great things. Last week we had 20 plus teenagers. We had 50 plus kids and Rock Hill kids. And and God is just blessing. God is working. He's moving. And I believe that the best is yet to come. And that great days are ahead. And that we get to be a part of it. And so I'm looking forward to what God is going to do in our midst today. And uh, go ahead and find a seat this morning. And I look to your neighbor and say, are you ready? Look to your other neighbor and say, how about you? Like Katie said a moment ago, today we are introducing what we're calling the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. And basically what this is, is it's just an opportunity for you to trust God with the first fruits of your income. And uh, we believe that God owns it all, and uh, He is the owner, but we have been entrusted with what God has given us, and we're stewards of what God has given us. And uh, maybe you've never trusted the Lord with the tithe, and maybe uh, this is a little bit new to you. And uh, so that's why we wanted to uh, bring about this challenge and just say, hey, put God to the test. Just trust him with that first fruit. Trust him with that 10% and see uh, if he will not uh, provide for you and uh, take care of your needs. And so I'm looking forward to uh, what God's going to do in that that season of uh, our 90-day tithe challenge. And this morning we're going to be in John chapter number 12, if you have a Bible. John chapter 12, and we're asking this question, what is it going to take to see a move of God? And last week we learned that it's going to take partnership, and that we've got to do it together. And we talked about the value of, of being on a team together. We talked about the value of joining a small group. How many of you were in a small group this week? Anybody like that? And so we learned last week that it's going to take partnership And today we're going to talk about the idea of surrender, because if we're going to see God do a great work, and if we're willing to have that attitude of whatever it takes, that really is an attitude of surrender. That's why I love this this graphic that shows a white flag, because we can't have a whatever it takes mentality if we don't have a heart to surrender. If we don't have a heart to say, God, whatever you want to do in my life and whatever path you want me to go down, that's the path that I'm willing to take. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I want to preach a message that I'm calling Break Your Box. Break Your Box. Everybody look to your neighbor and say, you got to break your box. Very good. So far today we're operating at about 60% participation. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's better than normal. John chapter 12, if you are ready to get into God's word today, would you say amen? Amen. John chapter 12, we'll look at verse number one. Most of the verses will be on our screen here in just a moment. This is a familiar passage in scripture, but I want to encourage you to not let the familiarity of the passage distract you from the power of the passage, because there is great power in the verses that we're about to read. 
mainly because these verses are not just man's idea or just a historical account. These are the words of God, and uh, these are God-breathed. And so we're going to look at John chapter 12 today, verse number 1. It says this, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Everybody say served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much of the Jews, uh, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, which he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity to worship you today. God, thank you for your word, that it is perfect, it's infallible, it's inspired. And God, so often in life when we are lacking clarity, when we are lacking direction, God, we're so thankful that we can look to your words and we can find, we can find hope and we can find truth and we can find uh, grace that we need and instruction that we need through the pages of Scripture. And God, I pray that today as we look to your word, I pray that we can have a clear understanding of what this text means. God, I pray that we can leave this place with a better uh, heart and attitude of surrender and just a willingness to do whatever it takes uh, to see people that are far from God uh, come to know you. And uh, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... How many of you have a difficult time of giving in? You don't like to surrender. You don't like to give in. Anybody like that? Kind of stubborn uh, by nature a little bit. Uh, I read an interesting story about a Japanese soldier in World War II. Uh, His name was Hiro Onoda. And uh, Hiro was uh, stationed on uh, this island in the Philippines, the Lubang Island. And uh, he was stationed there uh, during World War II. And in 1945, U.S. forces came and they took over this island. There in the Philippines, and, and all of Hero's uh, friends and fellow soldiers were either captured or killed, and so he was left all by himself. And so he was the only lone soldier left on this Lubang Island, and so uh, he went and he hid because he was trained not to surrender. And so he went deep into the jungle, and he was hiding. He was hiding out, and he was never going to come out. And uh, in fact, he was hiding so long that the war had actually ended, and uh, he was still hiding. And uh, people were coming to him and saying, hey, Hero, you can, you can leave now. The war is over. But every time someone came to him, he thought it was a trap. He thought it was a trick. So he just kept going deeper and deeper into the jungle, and he was hiding. In fact, he hid for 29 years in that jungle uh, on the Lubang Island in the Philippines. And uh, he was like, I'm not going to give in. I'm not, I'm not going to surrender. I'm just going to keep on hiding. And uh, this happened for so long, finally in 1974, that the Japanese government, uh, they sent a commanding officer and they ordered they ordered Hero that he would surrender. And finally, when they, when they found him and when they uh, gave him this order to surrender, he still was wearing his uniform, still had his sword, and still had his gun that was operating. He was just, he was just ready to fight. But for 29 years, he was unwilling to surrender. Unwilling to surrender. 
And I thought about that, and I thought, how many unnecessary battles in life do we fight because we are unwilling to surrender to the will of God? We go through life, and we're fighting, and we're trying, and we're, we're, we're struggling. We want to do things our own way. We want to have things in our control, but we're unwilling to surrender to God's plan. We're unwilling just to let go and say, okay, God, I'm trusting you every step of the way. So often, we are unwilling to surrender because in our world, in our culture, surrender is viewed as weakness. Right? The culture says, if you surrender, you're weak. But in God's economy, there is actually great strength in surrender. And if you want to find and tap into some of God's strength, and if you want to have strength for the journey, that strength is found by way of surrender when we say, hey, it's not my will, but thine be done. And so if we want to uh, see God move and we want to experience great strength as a church, we've got to have a heart and a mindset of surrender. And saying, God, it's not about what I want to do. It's about what you want to do through me. Luke Chapter 9, verse number 23, Jesus puts it this way. He says, and he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to take this calling seriously to to be a follower of Jesus, what does that look like? If you're going to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We have to have this this heart mindset to deny ourselves and say it's not uh, not about what I want, it's about a heart of surrender. Uh, The famous missionary Elizabeth Elliott, she said this, If my life is surrendered to God, all is well. Let me not grab back at it as though it were in peril in his hand, but would be safer in mine. She said, if my life is surrendered to God's will, then that's the safest place that I can be. Then I'm good to go. I'm not going to try to keep on uh, trying to control things and do things in my own strength. I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. By the way, a lot of people reject Christ and a lot of people don't experience salvation. And it's because there's an unwillingness to surrender. That's what Paul said uh, in the book of Romans. He says this in Romans chapter 10, verse number 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. And this is what we see so often in religion, that people are going about, and they're going about to establish their own righteousness. And it's about trying to be the best person that you can possibly be, and it's about going to this religious service, and it's about doing this religious duty. And what we're doing, and what so many people are doing, is they're going about trying to establish their own righteousness. But there's a big problem with that. Because Paul says this, they're going about trying to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves, have not yet surrendered unto the righteousness of God. And so he says the problem with so many people and the reason why they're rejecting uh, Christ and the reason they're not experiencing salvation is because they're trying to establish their own righteousness rather than submitting to the righteousness of God, rather than saying, I can't earn my way to heaven. It's only by grace. It's only through Jesus. And I'm going to surrender and I'm going to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, we have a surrender problem. We have, a, we have a problem with, with letting go and, and letting God intervene and take care of our lives. Now, we come to John chapter 12, and in John chapter 12, we see this extraordinary example of surrender and sacrifice, and uh, we see uh, this family, and they're celebrating, and, and uh, they're so thankful for something that Jesus had just done for them, and so they are going to demonstrate this whatever-it-takes mindset. They're going to demonstrate this, this heart of surrender. Now, to properly put John chapter 12 in context, we really have to look at John chapter number 11. If you're still with me today, would you say amen? amen. And so we got to look at John chapter number 11, and we've got to understand what's taking place here. See, uh, Jesus had a great friend. His name was Lazarus. Everybody say Lazarus. 
and Lazarus had just uh, died unexpectedly. He had just passed away. Now, Jesus loved Lazarus, and Jesus spent time with Lazarus, and so this would have been very painful for Jesus. He experienced great hurt. This was a very difficult season. In fact, I remember growing up, uh, I went to junior camp, and uh, every summer I would go to junior camp, and they had this competition. Whoever won, whoever uh, memorized the most verses would win some points. How many of you uh, were in a camp ever, and you had to memorize some verses? Anybody like that? Well, I would always go, and I wanted to win some points, and so I would always choose and find the shortest possible verses that I could find to memorize. And uh, every year I would start with, with, with one verse, John 11.35. John 11.35, because John 11.35 is the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. So I would always go, and I would quote that verse. I had that verse down, right? Uh, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. But think about that for a second. Jesus wept. It doesn't say that Jesus was sad. It doesn't say that Jesus felt bad. It says Jesus wept. And this is a great reminder for us because sometimes we create this big distance between us and God. And I just want to remind you that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And what that means is that Jesus has felt pain, that Jesus has gone through difficulty. Hey, hey, Jesus knows all about rejection. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. And so if there's anyone that can provide for us comfort in our season, if anyone can provide hope in our season, if anyone can provide encouragement in our season, it's Jesus Christ. He has experienced pain. Jesus wept. He lost a great friend, Lazarus. But Jesus was about to take this setback, and he was about to turn it into the greatest, one of the greatest comebacks in all of Scripture. Don't you love how Jesus can do that? He can take a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. He can take a setback and turn it into a comeback. And so uh, Jesus is going to enter into this scene. And, and I love what the Bible says in John chapter 11, verse number 43. It says this, and when uh, he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice. He comes to the tomb where Lazarus was laid, and he says, Lazarus, that was a personal command. Then he says, come forth, that was a precise command. And then he that was dead came forth. That's a powerful command. See, on that day, Jesus was going to show everyone in that village, everyone in that community that he has power over death, that he has power over the grave, that he has power over disease. And I just want to remind you today that Jesus still has power over death. He still has power over the grave. He he still has power over disease, and so we ought to celebrate, and we ought to thank God for the fact that he has given us new life in Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes along, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. Augustine said if he didn't say Lazarus, everybody in the graves would have just came forth that day. So Lazarus comes forth, and they're celebrating. They're excited, and uh, people in the village, they kind of gather together. They're celebrating. They're, uh, they're very thankful for they're very thankful for what Jesus has done. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Mary and Martha decide to do what you would have probably decided to do if you were in their situation. They say, man, uh, we've got to throw a celebration. Lazarus is back. And so Lazarus, he, he came back, and Lazarus has a whole new swagger to his stuff. You know, imagine being Lazarus. He's like, he's like, I'm ready to go. Like, that's what's up. I came back, you know. And uh, he's, he's happy. And so Mary and Martha, his, his sisters, they're like, we, we need to throw this celebration. And so this brings us to John chapter 12. This all happened in John 11. This brings us to John chapter 12. And so I want you to get the picture, though. When we walk into John chapter 12, we're walking into a party. Okay, this isn't, this isn't, they're not walking to the temple courts. This isn't a Bible study. No, they're walking into a, we're walking into a celebration. This is a party. Uh, they wanted to celebrate what Jesus had just done for Lazarus. If you're tracking with me, would you say amen? amen. Notice verse 1 of chapter 12. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, 
came to Bethany. And so we know that this is Passover season. Now, in the Gospel of John, the Passover is mentioned in chapter two, in chapter, two, in chapter 6, and in chapter 12. And that's significant because we know that they would celebrate the Passover yearly, annually. And so this is the third Passover. This is how we know that Jesus' earthly ministry uh, lasted about three years. And this is significant in John chapter 12 because this is Passover season. It's the third Passover season, which means we are in the very final week of Jesus' life. He only has a few hours left on earth. And so uh, Jesus does what you and I would most likely do. If we only had a few hours to live, we would spend that with people that we love. We would spend that time with people that we care about and love. And so uh, they're here in this Passover season. They're, 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 they're celebrating uh, what just happened with Lazarus. And so there's this party taking place. But it's in the midst of this, in the midst of this scene that we see an act of great surrender, an act of great sacrifice uh, on behalf of this family celebrating Jesus. And so this morning, I want to jump into this text and I want to give us four ways that, that we can live a life of true surrender. Four ways that we can live a life of surrender. If you're ready, would you say amen? amen. Number one, we must celebrate the goodness of God. We've got to celebrate the goodness of God. Notice verse number two. It says this, There they made him a supper. They made him a supper. Who did they make a supper? Jesus. They, they, through this party, they were, they, were, they were honoring Jesus. Why? Because he had just brought Lazarus back from the grave. And so uh, they were celebrating this fact that Lazarus was now uh, with them again. And so uh, they, were, they were celebrating what Jesus had just done. By the way, when you pause and think about all that Jesus has done for you and all that God has provided for you, that should produce in you a heart of gratitude and, and a heart of thankfulness and saying, man, I'm so thankful what God has done to me, uh, done uh, for me psalm chapter 136 verse number one says this oh give thanks everybody say give thanks he says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. He is good. We worship a good God. He is the good shepherd. He is the great shepherd. He is good for his mercy endureth forever. Can I just remind you this morning that we have a lot to be thankful for, yeah. that we have a lot to praise God for, that we can celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, just like the fact that this family was celebrating that Lazarus had been given new life. Hey, can I just tell you that we can celebrate the same thing, that we have been raised to new life in Christ. If you have if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you have been given new life. Ephesians 2 puts it this way, even when we were dead in sins, even when we were dead in sins, separated from God, he hath quickened us. He has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and he hath raised us up together. Is anybody thankful today that we've been given new life in Jesus Christ, that we've been raised together to sit in heavenly places with Jesus? Hey, we can celebrate that fact that we have new life in Christ. And so no matter what we're experiencing on earth, no matter what kind of pain, no matter what kind of tragedy, we can celebrate the fact that we have a home in heaven that is secured for us forever and ever we can celebrate the goodness of God we need more followers of Jesus that will stop complaining about their situation and start celebrating their savior here this family they're demonstrating they made this supper they, they threw this party in honor of Jesus they're celebrating the fact that Jesus had brought back Lazarus now their celebration kind of takes on different forms you know, they celebrate in different ways. And I want you to see first that, that Martha was celebrating. Martha was celebrating by serving. Uh, Martha was serving. It says this, there they made him a supper, and Martha, she served. 
Martha served. Now, if you know anything about Martha, of course she served because that's just what Martha did, right? Martha loved to entertain. She loved to be hospitable. She loved, uh, she loved to serve. Like, like uh, she would be throwing the best Super Bowl party, right? Like she'd have the buffalo chicken dip and she'd have jalapeno poppers and she would have, she would have everything, right? Uh, uh, there we go. And, and Martha, that, that's what she loved to do. She loved to serve. She loved to entertain. Now, in the past, Martha would focus so much on her work that she missed out on the worship, And sometimes that's where we come into play. Sometimes that happens to us. We're so uh, focused on the work that we miss out on the worship. And so in the past, uh, Martha would get caught up in that. But in this situation, Martha had learned her lesson, and she was not serving to get some sort of recognition. She wasn't complaining about the amount of service that other people were doing. No, in this situation, she's serving because she loves Jesus. She's serving because uh, of what Jesus uh, did for her. See, when she could think back about what Jesus had just done for her, it was easy for her to serve. That's why the Bible in Romans 12 says it's our reasonable service. When we think about the fact that we've been given new life in Christ, hey, it's easy to serve God uh, when we think about uh, this fact that he's given us new life and he's, he's done so many great things for us. By the way, when it comes to our uh, serving teams at Rock Hill, a lot of times we talk about the dream team. We say, hey, hey, get involved and start serving. Hey, it's not because we want something from you. It's because we want something for you. It's not because we just need more help. No, no. Of course, we could use the help, and of course, we want to serve together and strive together. But ultimately, when you're serving, we like to say you're seeing. Because when you're serving, you're seeing things that you otherwise wouldn't see, right? And a lot of times, we're not seeing what God wants us to see because we're not serving the way God wants us to serve. And so when you're serving, you're seeing. And I think one of the greatest examples of that is in John chapter 2. Remember the, the, the miracle at Cana where uh, they ran out of wine. That would have been a big problem, right? Uh, the celebration uh, was, again, was uh, going to come to an end. And so what did Jesus do? His first miracle, he turns the water into wine. How many of you remember that story in John chapter 2? And uh, I love that Jesus in that story, he tells the servants. He tells the servants, hey, will you take these containers? Will you take these pots? And will you move them? Will you help me uh, carry them? And so the servants, they were doing that. And so they saw the process. They saw the behind the scenes of turning the water into wine. And the Bible says this in uh, John chapter 2, verse number 9 in that story. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. Watch this. So the ruler, he didn't know. He didn't know what happened. He didn't see what happened. But the servants, which drew the water, they knew. Why? Because they were serving. And I love how in the Bible it has a, has a semicolon right there, like a winky face. Like they knew, like they knew what was going on, right? They knew because they were serving. See, when you're serving, you're seeing. What was Martha doing? She was celebrating the goodness of God. She was so thankful. And so she was demonstrating her thanks by serving, by getting plugged in, getting involved. I want to encourage you to live a life of service. Martha, she was serving. But I want you to see what Lazarus was doing. I love what Lazarus is doing. Notice verse number two. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. So what is Lazarus doing at this party? He's just sitting. He's just lounging. In Bible times, they would would lounge back when they ate. And so Lazarus is just kind of like lounging back. He's chilling. He's just enjoying the buffalo dip. It's interesting that Lazarus never says a word in Scripture. Martha, she's busy serving. She's expressing her gratitude and thanksgiving to God. She's she's busy serving. And and Lazarus, he's sitting. But I want you to see that both of them were celebrating the goodness of God. Both of them were doing what they could. And I I love that Lazarus is just sitting. And you might think, well, what's Lazarus doing? He, He needs to get to work. He needs to start serving. But the very fact that Lazarus was there sitting was a testimony to the power of God. And I love what the, what, what the end of this text says in, in verse number 9 and 10. It says this. 
in John chapter 12, verse number 10. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. And so just by the fact that Lazarus was there at the table sitting, his testimony was being used to see other people come and believe on Jesus. Can I just tell you today, don't let anyone ever tell you that you can't do much for God. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't have something to offer. Hey, just your testimony, just the fact that you can show up to the table, just the fact that you can walk into the doors, that is living proof of the power of God. And your life can be a great testimony that will lead others into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So don't let anyone tell you you're not good enough. You can't serve like Martha. You can't give like Mary. No, you can just show up to the table like Lazarus and let God use the testimony and the power of your character. Lazarus sat at the table and in doing so he was celebrating the goodness of God. I love that Martha she was busy serving but Lazarus just showed up and he sat and he was giving glory to God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way there are some Christians who cannot do much or say much but their godly lives their patient suffering their quiet holiness are good witnesses to Jesus. Let's just keep showing up to the table. And so we see that this family, they're celebrating the goodness of God. They're celebrating the goodness of God. This leads us to our second thought, uh, how we can live a life of surrender. If you're still with me, would you say amen? Amen. Number two, we've got to learn to hold nothing back. Learn to hold nothing back. Notice verse number three in our text today. It says this, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled. And so we see Mary here, she, she demonstrates this great act of worship. Uh, she sacrifices, she surrenders everything to Jesus. She, she wants to anoint the feet of Jesus. She wants to, to be with Jesus and be in his presence. And, and uh, she, she, she demonstrates that by uh, doing a, an act of worship that was very costly. This ointment was most likely, most commentators say it was, it was imported all the way from India, uh, later, Judah says, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 pence? 300 pence uh, was a whole year's salary in this culture. In our day, it might, might have been something between twenty dollars and $25,000 for this one box of ointment, this one box of ointment worth, worth thousands of dollars. And in just one moment, in one act of worship, she gives it all. It was very costly. Uh, many commentators say this might have been a family heirloom. And, and, and just in this one moment, this one decision, she gives it all. Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 14, it's the same story. It's a parallel account. It says this, And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment and a spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box. She broke the box and poured it on his head. And I just love this picture that Mary took this ointment. She, she broke it open and she said, you know what? I'm going to give it all to Jesus in this moment. I'm not going to hold back a little bit and save. I, I love this act of worship because there was no uh, calculation involved. See, our worship is far too calculated. We say, I'm going to give God this much, and I'm going to give God one hour on Sunday, and I'm going to give him maybe a little, one, one, one sliver of time uh, throughout the week, and, and it becomes far too calculated. But true worship is not about calculation. It's about consecration, which means it's all about full devotion. It's about giving everything that we have. It's an act of surrender. So Mary here, she says, I'm just going to give it all. She broke open the box. To break open the box represents total, absolute surrender. I'm giving everything that I have. I saw uh, last year there was a, 
there was a YouTuber that put out this challenge, and he made this, uh, what he called an indestructible glass box. And inside of the glass box, he put $10,000, and he issued out this challenge, and he said, anybody that can break this box uh, will get to keep the $10,000. And so people took uh, sledgehammers to it, and hammers, and, and power tools. They took flamethrowers, and uh, eventually someone, uh, someone got it open with a jackhammer, and they, they were hitting that thing open. They got to keep the $10,000. Uh, $10, but the only way that you could get the money, the only way that you could get the $10,000 is, is if you broke open the box. This is what I believe. I believe the only way to experience the full blessings of God that God wants to put on your life is to learn to break open our box. To say, I'm going to give God whatever he wants. I'm going to live a life of total surrender. I'm going to give it all to him. See, we sing the song, I surrender all. You know, I surrender all to Jesus, that hymn. But a lot of times I wonder if we actually mean that. Because I surrender some is not quite as catchy. But I wonder if we're willing to say, I surrender all. My relationships, my finances, my schedule. Whatever Jesus wants, he can have. Mary, in this moment, she says, you know what, just one act of worship, I'm giving everything that I have. See, if we're going to see God move in 2020, we have to learn to hold nothing back. I'm not going to hold back to this portion. I'm going to, I'm going to give everything to Jesus except for this one little area, except for uh, this, this part of my finances or this part of my relationships. I'm going to give everything but this part. No, that's not what God wants. He wants all of us. Vance Havner said this, God uses broken things. By the way, aren't you thankful that God uses broken things? God can take the broken pieces and make something beautiful out of those broken pieces. He says, God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop, broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give, uh, to give bread, broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. See, there is great value in brokenness. And so uh, Mary, she does this act of worship. It was expensive, but it was also exclusive. It says this, and anointed the feet of Jesus. This was for Jesus. It was an exclusive act of worship. By the way, Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. It's only through Jesus. Mary said, I'm not going to worship Jesus and this and this and this. No, it, it was all for Jesus. It was an expensive gift. It was an exclusive gift. But then I want you to see it was an exhibited gift because it says this, and he wiped his feet with her hair, uh, with her hair and, and the house was filled. The house was filled with the odor of the ointment. See, when you learn to hold nothing back, when you learn to live a life of surrender, you can't hide it. Other people are going to uh, sense something is different with you. Other people are going to see it. See, when you worship God with all your heart and soul, uh, it's going to be public. People are going to see that. And Mary says, you know what? I love Jesus so much. I'm going to break the alabaster box. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Jesus this perfume. I'm going to anoint his head. I'm going to anoint his feet. I'm going to do this all for Jesus. And guess what? The odor filled the place, and everybody started to look. What's going on over there? What's happening over there? And people began to notice because when you learn to hold nothing back and when you learn to live a life of total surrender, people will observe that. And God can use that testimony for his glory. That's why the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine. Everybody say, so shine. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so we have to learn to hold nothing back. This brings us to our third point today, number three. If you're still with me, say Amen. amen. Number three, we have to learn to practice selective hearing. Practice selective hearing. How many of you are already good at this? Can I see you're already? My son Luke is good at this. I say, Luke, pick up your toys. Luke, pick up your toys. Luke, pick up your toys. Luke, do you want ice cream? Yes. Can I have it in a cone? 
he, he's great at selective hearing. And, uh, and so often we do this in our lives. And here what happens next in the text is Mary demonstrates this great act of worship and she starts hearing different opinions, different voices. And I want you to see the rebuke that she received in verse number four. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and, and given to the poor? And so imagine yourself in this situation. Mary just gave everything that she had. She surrendered it all to Jesus. She broke open the alabaster box. She said, it's all for Jesus in this, in this beautiful, wonderful act of worship. And as soon as she does that, Judas is watching. He's like, what is she doing? And then he vocalizes his disgust, and he says, are you guys seeing this, Peter? Are, are you seeing this? Are you guys okay with this? Uh, we, could have, we could have sold that alabaster box for 300 pence. We could have given that money to the poor. Mary, why would you just waste it? What's going on? And see, Mary demonstrated this act of great worship, and right off the bat, she was met with criticism. And see, a lot of times we step out by faith, and we, and we decide, okay, I'm going to live a life of full surrender, and we think we're going to get met with some compliments but instead we get met with criticism, which begins to make us doubt our decision in the first place. Maybe I shouldn't have worshipped with all my heart and soul. Maybe I shouldn't have committed to giving, and maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have invited that neighbor. And here's Mary. She just does this beautiful act of worship, and she receives this rebuke from Judas. And that's why it's very important in life to learn to practice selective hearing. See, right voices always lead to right choices. We need to make sure that the voices that we're listening to are leading us in the path that God has for us. And so often the reason why we struggle is because we're tuning in to the wrong voices. We're listening to the Judases. We're listening to those things rather than focusing on our worship to Jesus and Jesus alone. My wife, Katie, she recently got some headphones. And uh, these headphones are noise-canceling. Anybody have any noise-canceling headphones? When I put these headphones on... I can't hear you. And I really can, actually. That's pretty good. And there's this little button on the side that if you, if you click the button, it's going to cancel out all the noise, right? And, and you're only going to hear what's going through the headphones. And so uh, a lot of times when Katie's wearing these headphones, I'll be talking to her, and she's like, I can't hear you. And sometimes I think she just puts them on for fun, you know? And, uh, and uh, she, she's wearing these, and she can't hear anything else. But it, it's nice to have uh, noise canceling where you can't hear anything else but what's only going through the ear. And this is what I want to tell you this morning, that the Word of God, the Word of God is a noise-canceling book. And so when you're hearing all the different opinions and all the different criticisms from the, from the world, what you need to do is tune into the voice of God, to tune into the Word of God and say, you know what, it doesn't matter what everybody else is saying around me. It doesn't matter about the disapproval of men. I'm living for the audience of one. I'm living for the approval of Jesus Christ. Hey, it doesn't matter what you say, Judas. It doesn't matter what you think because it wasn't for you it was for the Lord the word of God can cancel out the noise from the world and I want to encourage you today to practice selective hearing it's not about what they say and it's not about what the internet says and it's not about what the government says. it's about what God has to say his word is our final authority Jesus is quick to step in notice verse number six or seven it says this then then said Jesus let her alone Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. Uh, Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. And so Mary has to decide, is she going to listen to G uh, Judas or is she going to listen to Jesus? I love what Revelation chapter 3, verse number 20 says. It says this, behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. Now, now this is Jesus speaking. A lot of times, a lot of times we read this verse and, and people use it in context of salvation. And it's a gospel message. It's, it's Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and, and you just got to welcome him in and you can receive Christ as your savior. But you have to remember Revelation chapter 3 was written to a church. These were people that had already accepted Christ. And Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. See, we have to be willing and position ourselves to hear the voice of of God. We have to practice selective hearing. It's not about what Judah says. It's not about what they say. It's about what God says. And so we see this rebuke from Judas, but I want you to see the reason for the rebuke. Notice the reason for it, verse number six. Then he said, not that he cared for the poor. See, Judas didn't really care for the poor. It wasn't about, it wasn't about uh, uh, making uh, himself, he was trying to make himself look real good, and this sounded real pious, but that's not what it was about. Uh, this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag. That meant that he was the treasurer. Uh, Judas was the one that was entrusted with the money. And so uh, he, he, he had the bag, and he bare what was put therein. And so, so really the reason why Judas was saying this is because he wanted the money. Uh, he wanted that. See, the funny thing about criticism is, is if we learn to look beneath the insult, we can see the insecurity and overlook the offense. When we're getting criticism, if we learn to look beneath the insult, we can see the insecurity. Why, why did they say that? Oh, it wasn't because they actually cared about the poor. It was because they just wanted the money. We can look beyond the insult and see that insecurity and in so doing overlook the offense. And so, uh, and so uh, this, this was the reason uh, that, that Judas uh, was speaking up because he wanted the money. And so uh, we see that we have to practice selective hearing. This brings us to our fourth and final thought today. Number four, we have to learn to align our priorities biblically. Do you have one more in you today? Align your priorities biblically. Notice verse 7 and 8. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing hath she kept this. Watch this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Now did Jesus not care about the, about the poor? Of course not. Of course Jesus cared about the poor. He, he, he instructed us time and time again to care about the least of these and but he was alluding to something greater in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse number 11. It says, for the poor shall never cease out of the land. Jesus was saying, you're always going to have opportunities to help the poor. You're always going to have opportunities to help those in need. And you should do that. But I'm not going to be here very much longer. But me, he have not always. He was trying to get them to awaken their perspective and say, hey, I'm only going to be here uh, for a little bit more time. It's the same thing that he said to the blind man in John chapter 9 when they said, who did sin, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither did this man sin nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest uh, in him. He says, I want to do a great uh, work in this man's life. Jesus said, while it is still day, I must work the works of him that sent me. While, it, while there's still time. Yeah. While there's still time. Jesus was getting us to awaken our perspective on the value of our time. Last Sunday when I got done preaching, I walked over here on the side of the stage and I grabbed my phone, I looked at it, and I was getting all kinds of text messages and receiving word about the tragic loss of life in Calabasas. And I was getting text messages and it was kind of all overwhelming coming through very quickly. And no doubt, this was a tragic and devastating situation and painful. But there's many things that we can learn from this season, and one of which is we have to be reminded of the brevity of life. 
Life is a vapor. Life is short. And because life is short and because of the brevity of life, we need, we must, we have to, it's imperative to align our priorities biblically. Jesus said, hey, with the time that you have left, I'm only here for a little bit longer. I'm going to go to the cross. Worship me. Focus on me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. We have to align our priorities biblically. I read a story about the Titanic. When the Titanic went down, there was reported 11 millionaires on board. And one of those millionaires was named Major A. Puchin. And he says, uh, later on, he survived the incident. And he said, I left $300,000 in my safe. And he said, at the time, the mockery, when the ship was going down, he said, at the time, the money was a mockery. He said, uh, as the ship was going down, the money was a mockery. He said this, I picked up three oranges instead. See, when you realize the brevity of life, your priorities change real quick. It was no longer about money. He said, I just needed some oranges. The Bible says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleep, sleepest. It's time to wake up and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. Can I ask you today, are your priorities aligned biblically? Are your priorities centered on Jesus? Are you willing to give him the first fruits? Are you willing to give him the first day of the week? See, we can say that we love Jesus and we can say that we want to worship Jesus, but do our priorities match what we speak? I want to read one quote, and as I do, I'd like to ask you to stand with me. William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And somebody once asked him, hey, what's the secret to your success? And how have you found so much success? And he had tears come to his eyes and he said this, I will tell you a secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I have, men with greater opportunities. But from the day that I got the poor of London on my heart I, and caught a vision of what Jesus could do with them, on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. He said, I, want, I just wanted God to have all of me. I didn't want to hold out. I wanted God to have all of me. And then later on, someone commented on his life when they heard him say that and said, I learned from William Booth that the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. The greatness of our power is found in the measure of our surrender. And so this morning, I'm urging us as a church, let's develop a whatever-it-takes mindset. Hey, let's wave the white flag of surrender and say, Jesus, you can have not just a part of me, but Jesus, you can have all of me in my relationships, in my finances. Whatever you want, you can have. That ought to be our heart. That's our heart's desire. You can have whatever you want. I want to break open the box. My life is open. I want to live with open hands, God. Whatever you want to do. That's what I want in my life. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. If we're going to live with a whatever-it-takes mindset, we have to learn, like Mary, to say, Jesus, you can have it all, to live a life of complete surrender. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.